All right, we're going to do a quick check. Is everything fine on my face? Okay. When it gets longer and the, and the mask is involved, it gets weird. And so I apologize if it looks funny, but I don't particularly want to look weird right now. Okay. I forgot something. I forgot my box. The whole thing. Is it? Okay, yeah. I, I need my wife to be in here because she actually tells me, you guys just nodded. Okay, come on. I need truth. Okay. Well, uh, I almost forgot my box. I wanted to introduce you guys to this box today. Um, it doesn't have a name. But this is a box that I did early quarantine. Uh, the kids were outside playing uh, with some new friends, and I didn't want to leave them alone. So I hung out in the garage. They were doing their own thing. Uh, but I hung out in the garage while I worked. Uh, I had just some scrap wood in my garage. And I was like, I'm just going to put this box together. You know, it, it'll, it'll be fun to do. You know, it's a secret here. Didn't stain it there or there. Um, but, you know, it was fun. Uh, the kids didn't, you know, get hurt. They had a lot of fun. They, they, they play all the time now. But... I didn't want to leave them alone, but in that meantime, while they were playing, I made my box here, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about this box later, but I just wanted to introduce you to him first, okay? So he's going to sit right there, and we'll come back to the box without a name. So let's start with this question. If I asked the people in your life to describe you, what would they say? Maybe you're getting nervous even thinking about this question. If I asked the people in your life to describe you, what would they say? Thinking. As a follow-up to that question, how would you describe yourself? I would like to think that uh, those two things are pretty similar. I would like to think, you know... I would describe myself as, you know, a good husband, a good father, a good youth minister, uh, uh, you know, a decent beard sometimes, right? Um, not like Emery's up here, like, flexing. He's got that long beard. Um, but we have these descriptions that I kind of run through usually, right? Our bios sometimes on our social media will be how we like to put our best foot forward, how we like to describe ourselves, I would like to think that the people that I know in my life would also describe me in the same way. But honestly, in this scenario, um, it's a little bit nervous to think about, right? Like if there was an anonymous survey about you, what would people say? I actually had the pleasure of having an anonymous survey about myself when I first got into youth ministry. Um, it was about a year in, and the elder over the youth ministry said, hey, we should put out a survey of, you know, how things are going, and it's going to be completely anonymous. I got my feelings hurt a little bit. Uh, it wasn't even bad. Uh, it was all, like, it was like 99.9% .9 positive, but like the 0.1% or whatever it was said something like, oh, I wish there was more specific um, uh, activities for, like, the middle schoolers, and I took that really hard. <laughs> Because I want, it, I want everybody to appreciate and, and, and approve of what I do, right? I, mean, I don't think I'm alone in saying this, right? That's why I think when I ask those two questions right here, 
if I ask the people in your life to describe you what they say, and how would you describe yourself, it's kind of uncomfortable because we would like the people in our lives to think as highly of ourselves as we do. And it's scary, I think, because for the most part, we do care what people think, right? Some more than others, okay? Maybe you're the lucky few people that can honestly say, I do not care what other people think, whatever. I will, I will do whatever I want. I don't care what people think. Good for you. But for the most part, even just the slightest amount, we do care what people think about certain things that we do. Maybe you don't care how people think you dress, but you might care how people think about how you work, right? Maybe you don't care about how people think you work, but you care if your breath smells bad, right? There are things in our lives that we do care what other people think about us. And the title of this sermon is Caring for Yourself, and we're going to get to that. We're going to talk about caring for ourselves, but I think we need to address this tension right here first, the tension between what other people think and what we think of ourselves. And we're going to describe that as the tension between the true self and the false self. The true self and the false self. A quick definition of this. The true self is the unique person who has characteristics that reflect who God is. Okay, very, very brief definition. This is God-centered. Our true self is God-centered. Our false self is the person we think we should be, but we aren't. If the true self is God-centered, the false self is self-centered, me-centered, ego-centered. And sometimes it is hard to name the false self. And I hope this morning I don't speak in circles, but sometimes when I talk about these two things, it's hard not to. So follow along with me. Because it's sometimes hard to name the false self. Because the false self is at the heart of what we like about ourselves. The reward part of our brains loves the false self. The false self isn't inherently bad. It's not a terrible thing because at the bottom line, the things that we put out into the world are typically good things, right? We're wanting to put our best foot forward. At the heart of it, our false self isn't necessarily bad. It's what's behind the false self. And if you still don't get it, this, I think, will uncover it very quickly. This is how you find what your false self lives and breathes on. Fill in this blank for yourselves. Others will not accept me unless I am blank. Think about that. Your false self lives here. Others will not accept me unless I am blank. I've talked about the Enneagram before up here, kind of like the, the nine different personalities, general personalities. And I'm going to fill in this blank with the kind of false selves that you might find in different people and see if you find yourself in any of these examples, okay? Others will not accept me unless I am perfect, unless I am needed, unless I am successful, unless I am creative. Others will not accept me unless I am smart, loyal, entertaining, strong, or everything to all people. 
I just gave you a bunch of examples, and maybe you didn't necessarily see yourself in there, but I'm sure somebody, ha- you have an answer for what's going on here. Others will not accept me unless I am blank. And now the real problem with the false self is that this statement quickly becomes this. Very small change, but a very important change. The false self takes that identity that we hold on to, and it becomes this in our minds. God will not accept me unless I am perfect. Right? Maybe I'm the only person who's ever been there. God will not accept me unless I am successful. I don't have to go through them all again, but you see where I'm getting at. The false self lives in this place and makes it about others and then makes it about God, and that's not where we need to live as Christians. And intellectually, I know better. I know that God, this, this doesn't really make any sense. But spiritually, that's really hard to take from here to here, right? My heart's over here. From here to here. I understand that God will always accept me. I understand intellectually that God will always be there. But in my heart, sometimes it's hard to separate my false self and not see myself in this lane right here. God will not accept me. Others will not accept me unless I am blank. And you might be thinking, that's who I am. I am a strong person. I am a smart person. I am a creative person. And that's fantastic because God created you to be those things. That is living in your true self when you take those things and they reflect God. And they reflect who God created you to be. But when we live in this lane, that's not who God created you to be. God did not create you to be a smart person so that you will only be accepted by God if you are smart or if you are strong or if you are creative. God created you that way to reflect his glory to everybody. And in doing that, they will see God in you. And I think this, this is a perfect example right here. Jesus gives us an, an excellent example here. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 4. This is right after the baptism of Jesus where he's led into the wilderness and he is experiencing temptation. 4, 1 through 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to them, excuse me, said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man should not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him, in an instant, all the kingdoms of the world. Excuse me. And he said to, and he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up into their hands so that he will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. And so we recognize the three temptations of Jesus. We're all familiar with this story, that Jesus is being first tempted by physical space, right? Where he said, turn these lo- excuse me, stones into loaves of bread. You can change reality. You can alter the physical space. You have power over physical space. And he goes, you can be king over all these people. You can have power over man. 
And the third, you have power over your own mortality. You can jump off this high place right now and you will not die. You have power over death itself. I hope this sounds familiar to you because all these things that Jesus is tempted with, he resists in this situation, but later on in his life and after his life, he actually does these things, right? He turns uh, the, the, the loaves and the fish into more loaves and fish. He, multi- excuse me, he multiplies the physical space, right? He does have power over man. We talk about in Philippians and Revelation where it says every knee will bow at King Jesus. He does eventually have power over man, and he does have power over mortality. We talk about the resurrection all the time. So what's the difference? He was tempted with these things, and he eventually essentially does those things later on. Is Jesus sinning when he does those things later? I don't think so. Okay? The difference is that the true self that we see him do throughout his ministry is the glorification of God. If Jesus did all these things in this moment, would it be a glorification of God? No. It would be a glorification of self. Do you see the difference there between the true self and the false self? The true self always glorifies God. The false self glorifies me. Jesus is not interested in glorifying himself at all. And and we can say, okay, that's Jesus. Sometimes I do that, right? Anybody else do that? Okay, that's Jesus. I'm me. But if if we take this text seriously, we have to see these as real temptations, that Jesus was actually tempted to eat, that he was actually tempted to have power over people and to have power over his own life. These are not just some storybook, you know, uh, straw man temptations. These are real. And we have to see them as real temptations. And all this, I think, makes even more sense in light of Philippians chapter 2. We have this idea of Jesus being this holier-than-thou individual, but we see exactly what Jesus does through his life in this section here written by Paul. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Do you see this imagery of Jesus? We sometimes say, okay, that's Jesus. But in order for Jesus to do the things that he did on earth, it required a great deal of self, um, what did it say here? Making himself nothing. The very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. In order to live into your true self, you must recognize just how empty you are. Right? We talk about the Garden of Gethsemane where, where Jesus is saying, please take this cup from me. He recognizes just how much he's about to suffer, but in the end he says, your will be done, not mine, Right? And we have this situation where Jesus could have done all these things, but he empties himself to glorify God. But in order to recognize our true selves, in order to get rid of the false self that we were talking about, we need to do the same thing. We need to empty ourselves. Because the false self loves to be rewarded. 
Others will not accept me unless I am blank. We need to empty ourselves. But how? It's a great idea. I could just leave this and just be, empty yourselves. Go figure it out for yourself. But I think I have three ways I think that this makes a little bit more sense. The first thing is that we need to discover what makes you the most defensive. I introduced you to this box. And at the, I, I made this towards the beginning of quarantine, and I would not have been able to share this with you guys had it been at that time period. I'm very, very uh, ashamed of this. Because this was supposed to be a box for plants, okay? I was going to drill some holes in the bottom. I was going to put some legs in the bottom. And there's going to be a nice little flower bed to go underneath the window at our house. I'm really bad at finishing things. I often start projects. Uh, Michelle will ask me to do something around the house. I'll say yes. I'll work on it for a day. I'll say I'll get back to that. And I never get back to it. Am I alone? Hope not. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And for me, I get really defensive about this kind of stuff. I'm getting better at it. That's why I'm sharing with you guys today. But I would get, like, mad when I would see projects that I didn't finish, and then I wouldn't finish them. <laughs> like, it, it, it's, it's this weird cycle where it's like I see the thing that I need to finish, and I don't want to finish it because I didn't finish it then, and now I'm embarrassed by it. It's, like, exhausting to think about that. <laughs> but I would get really defensive when Michelle would bring it up. Hey, when are you going to finish? I'm going to use my box as an example. When are you going to finish the box? I'll get to it. When are you going to finish painting this? I'll get to it. And the reason why I got so defensive about it is because I like to think of myself as a person who gets things done. But there's things I don't get done. When I read those examples of things that, you know, you might be filling the blank in, for me, I like to be all things to all people. Unfortunately, that often comes at the expense of my own family. If somebody else asks me to do something, I'll probably say yes. I've gotten better at saying no. But I like to say yes. But the more I say yes to other people, the more I'm actually saying no to my family. And I love you guys, but my family wins every time. But a lot of times my actions, when I'm living in that false self, don't show that. I'm so obsessed with making sure people recognize that I can get things done that I don't actually get things done, right? And maybe this isn't your problem. Maybe you're the perfectionist. Maybe you're the person who says, everything that I do has to be one, two, three in order, A, B, C, perfect. And if it's not perfect, I am not perfect. And that's what we talked about last week, remember? We talked a little bit about that last week. If you get defensive when the things that you do are not perfect and people see that, that might be your false self screaming at you. Whatever makes you the most defensive is where your false self lives. 
I want so badly to be all things to all people, but sometimes I'm not, and guess what? That's okay. It is fine. I, I, I try the best I can, but at the end of the day, I'm going to fall short. I am going to be broken. And the more I realize that, the less the false self is going to have a foothold in my life. We cannot let the false self be what controls our lives. The second thing, the first thing right here, excuse me, first thing was discover what makes you most offensive. The second thing is you need to let go of control in your life, and I'm emphasizing these right here, the control in your life, because the more I've gone through life, the the more I realize that a lot of things just kind of happen. And I would like to think that I have more control than I actually do. Um, We were driving to Palm Coast uh, one evening, and it was a really, really bad storm. And it was one of those storms where lightning bolts were just every five seconds, like big, big lightning bolts. And every single single time I saw a lightning bolt, it made me realize I could be on the receiving end of that lightning bolt at any point. And it could be bad for me. I have zero control over what happens with lightning. But sometimes we like to think that we do. Sometimes we like to think that we actually have control because that's the false self coming into our lives. The more that I think I can control my environment and the people around me every single day, it's not going to actually be true. The more that I think that the more perfect I am, the more smart or intelligent I am, the stronger I am, the more others will like me and the more God will like me. That is false. But we live that way all the time. And I'm asking you this morning uh, to start small. Maybe you are a controlling person. Maybe you like to have everything in order, and that's okay. I'm not saying it's bad because you, that unique person that God created you to be, we need those people. I desperately need my wife to do that for me all the time. But you need to learn to rely on other people. And this box is a good example. I rely on my wife for a lot. And she has helped me to where this kind of stuff gets done more. And this kind of stuff doesn't make me defensive anymore. Because we have a conversation where she'll say, is this one of those things that you need my help urging you to do? Or is this one of those things you need me to back off and let you figure out on your own? It's just communication. It's just talking. But that simple line of communication has helped me discover the false self in ways that I never thought that I could. Like I said, at the beginning of quarantine, I never would have shared this with you. I'm embarrassed by this. Okay? Um, It sits in my garage. It's like full of dust. It's been there for a while. But it is an example of just how far I've come as far as discovering my... I'm not there yet. But letting, letting go of control has helped me to become more aware and to let God speak into that false self more and more every day. So the first thing, discover what makes you most defensive. Second thing, let go of control in your life. And the third thing, and this is going to be the hardest one, you've got to check your motives. Because you might be thinking, I still don't get the difference between the true self and the false self. Because you're saying, all these things that make me me are my true self. But sometimes they can be my false self. It's all about this point right here. What's your motivating factor? I'm not calling out anybody, okay? Because I've done this myself. I like to post pictures on my Instagram with me and my family because I want other people to think I'm a good dad. That's a, that's, that's, that doesn't make sense. I know I'm a good dad. I have proof. 
at home, my kids actually like being around me right now, right? But I have to recognize at a certain degree, it can't be about what other people think about me. It can't be about what other people think about my fathering, my husbanding, my youth ministering. It has to be about how am I glorifying God in all those ways? And I know that sounds kind of like a really churchy thing, like a really kind of blanket thing to say. But bottom line, am I being a good father to be a good father or am I being a good father so other people think I'm being a good father? That's the bottom line. True self versus false self. The true self, God wants you to be a good father, good mother, good brother, good sister. But do it because you want to be that person, not for other people to see you being that person. Why am I putting emphasis here? And so we're going to close out today. I've, I've used this sermon, or excuse me, this text before, but I keep coming back to it in my own like personal study, in my own personal just way I think. <clears throat> it's Luke 18, 14. And this is what God can do with you when you're living into the true self and you're pushing the false self as far away from you as you can. This is from the message. <clears throat> Jesus, Jesus commented, the ta- this tax man... Not the other went home, made right with God. If you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. That's the false self. But if you're content to simply be yourself, you will become more than yourself. Jesus emptied himself. Jesus took on the likeness of a human. And in doing so, God made him much more than that. We have the ability to do the exact same thing if we scorn the false self and we lift up the true self. The true self that God created you and you alone to be because the false self is incapable of finding peace. And this whole thing is about caring for self and and how we can do that better. If you're living in the false self, you will not find peace. If you are living in the false self, you will not find peace. Only the true self can find peace because God is giving you that peace. Because when the false self is looking for peace, it's looking for more things that look like peace. And the more things that I can stack up and say, look how peaceful I am, the true self can find peace in God. The true self can find peace in the person God created us to be. And that's where I leave you this morning. Find peace in the person God created you and you alone to be. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this time, and I thank you for giving us um, the time to worship you. God, help us to live into the true self you created us to be. The unique person that you created us to be that glorifies you. Help us to score in the false self. Help us to put it away. Help us to recognize that while that might be part of who we are, we need to be recognizing just how much that can glorify God. And Jesus, let me pray. Amen. If you have any needs, we invite you to come forward. If you have physical needs, spiritual needs, whatever kind of needs, we want to offer some help as we come and we stand and we sing.